Welcome to the Buy Box Bandits podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Buy Box Bandits podcast, episode 141 with Shane and Nikki on how they sold over a million bucks on Amazon with online arbitrage and wholesale their first year. So thanks for joining us, gents. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Miles. Appreciate Absolutely. you bringing us on. And Gary. Beautiful seeing that sunny Santa Monica background there, but obviously it wasn't always as easy in terms of scaling up the first year. So can you guys kind of fill us in on you know, your background, how you got started with Amazon, how you guys met, that kind of thing? Yeah, of course. So Shane and I met in college. The way that I got introduced to the whole e-commerce space was through sneaker reselling. We both ran track and cross country in college. I got injured my sophomore year. And so I really just needed something to do that didn't involve a whole lot of moving because I couldn't walk for a period of six months or so. And so I found the space through a friend, eventually sneaker reselling, you know, hit a peak during the pandemic, the age of stimulus, and then sort of started to die down after the age of stimulus. And so I needed something to kind of move to, to shift business models. And I came across Miles, your account on Twitter. And I'd followed you for a while back in the the age of dividends and investing. And oh, that's beautiful. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful, man. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, longtime fan, like you're the man. But <laughs> I came across your account. You were providing a lot, of, a lot of great information for new sellers, documenting your journey. So I trusted you. I jumped on a call with, with you and one of your sales guys and uh, eventually ended up buying the course and getting into it that way. And that was last October. So that's how I made my way over. And then Shane, you uh, you came on rather recently, right? Yeah. So I was doing like, I, I was always interested in kind of figuring out some sort of way to make extra money while I was in school. And I knew Nikki was doing the reselling stuff. We lived together in a like a team house. Um, so I discovered FBA probably around 2020. Um, but I was doing it very low hours, maybe like two hours a week. And I was making like a couple hundred bucks a month, just some spending money, some going out money. And, uh, I kind of knew the space a little bit. I was looking to get into it more, but never really found the time because my senior year, I picked up a data science minor. So I was pretty, pretty busy with that. Um, and so a couple months before I graduated, Nikki sends me like a photo of his, but this was actually in January of last of 2023. Um, Nikki sends me a screenshot of his December sales and it was, it went from 20 K or something like that in November to 80 K in December. And I was like, Holy shit, put me on, you know, tell me what you're doing. Um, and so he got me looped in. I started taking it more seriously throughout the second half of, uh, my school year, my last, my last semester. And then when I, when we graduated or when I graduated, I came on full time. So what do you think you was like one of the big differentiators for you guys, right? What, what clicked for you guys? Because there's a lot of people that come into the space and don't have the fast growth, don't have the the sudden success, success that you guys have seen. So what do you think worked for you guys so well that maybe doesn't work as well for others? Yeah, so I think I break it down into two limiting factors. So this is how I approach the business, right? The first limiting factor is information. And so the main piece of information most people are missing is what do you buy? Mm -hmm. And so that is the limiting factor that we were dealing with for the past year, essentially. And then the other limiting factor is how much money you have, how much right. capital you have available. And so luckily coming in last October, I had built up kind of the coffers in terms of I was working full time. 
I had been selling, reselling sneakers for at that point, three years profitably, you know, I, I had a decent amount of capital built up and I just needed the information and the knowledge for where to go. And so for me, it was a no brainer. I'm going to go to someone who's already gone through the difficult part of learning how to scale and learning the business and learning all of the intricacies of the platform, get, I'm going to buy their information and jump my knowledge forward, you know, a year, 12, a year, 18 months, two years, however long they've been doing it, have access to that person and then go from there. So it was really just combining the capital that I had available and the knowledge that Miles and other people had that were already in the group and were already performing at a high level. And then it's just, you know, the background of sneaker reselling, the arbitrage doesn't, the, the method of arbitrage does not right. change. It's very transmissible in terms of a skill set. And so it it was pretty self-explanatory <laughs> on how I needed to kind of maneuver and just become familiar with a new platform and then deploy capital as necessary. It's so funny because this is something that Miles and I talk about a bunch is that the success rate from people who come over from the sneaker world and it converting to Amazon is like almost 100%. It's almost immediate yeah. success. So it's super interesting to see like that trajectory coming from that world. Yeah, same thing with sports too, for sure, right? Because oh, with yeah. sports, delayed gratification, teamwork, Amazon, delayed gratification, teamwork. Garrett and I met three years ago. We had a spreadsheet week one. I still show people that spreadsheet of like 50 leads and like a couple of different things. It's like, how is it not going to work? Of course it was going to work, right? And then it's you guys having that athletics background, having shoe reselling backgrounds. Like, of course, this is going to work too if you just actually put the work in and apply it. Uh, really, I think thing that'll be very valuable for the audience. So obviously you were very new, but going from like 20K a month draft to like 80 in December, what were kind of the big catalysts of that? Because I could talk about Q4 all day and I'm, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on uh, explosive growth. Yeah, so people beat this topic like a dead horse, but doing FBM in December is one of the hardest, the, the highest ROI activities that you can possibly take part in. You know, you it, it's the process of purchasing an item. On some sites, you can get you can sign up for programs where you get expedited shipping. Oh, sauce! Yeah, ten yeah, bucks. So I'll name Very drop good. one. Yeah, yeah. I'll name drop one. It's ASOS. That's free free game right here. Off of ASOS last year, purchasing the free expedited shipping, which is like a flat fee of twenty five bucks, and then sourcing items there, shipping them to my prep center. Luckily, I was working with a prep center that would allow FBM. And just charge it a little bit of a higher fee on a per unit basis. But purchase from ASOS, it would ship to my prep center at, at the most in two days, two business days. And then I'd be selling that item the same day it arrived. And so the process of, I had very large credit uh, facilities built up from the sneaker reselling game. And so to spend money on a credit card, ship the item to my prep center in two days, have my prep center fulfill it. And the whole time I'm just... Well, for the most part, I was working at an investment bank at Morgan Stanley during the day. But then for me to just do that, sit there and have a prep center across the country fulfilling these orders for me, it's just, it's a complete game changer. And you change your inventory turnover rate from, you know, on average at this point, we're probably turning over inventory at a, approximately five times a year. So it's slowed down as we've scaled. But in December, you can turn your money around probably five times just in the month if you're if you're using these methods, um, especially if you're lower capital. And so um, that was kind of our biggest strategy in terms of growing because we also didn't have enough time to get the fulfillment centers fully stocked with products because we started in late October. 
So, you know, you have that one month and then checkout times go through the roof. So FBM, you're kind of la- left with that only option. And luckily it, it played out extremely well. And that, I mean, that's something that we've been trying to convince a lot of new people into the industry with the value and the power of that efficiency, that speed, right? Because you don't have to wait three to four weeks to find out and gain the confidence that a product works. You can gain that validation in two or three days. Well, now you can go back to the site, reorder, rebuy, probably at the same price with the same sale and continue to loop that, right? You gain three weeks in, in terms of, you don't need necessarily the confidence. You can prove it with the actual market and then act and iterate on that. Yeah, especially because a lot of your big money in December is going to be made on those couple ASINs, 5, 10, 20 ASINs that you really hammer. It's absolutely crucial to acquire both the skill of finding a bunch of stuff and the proof of concept necessary to go heavy on stuff to really see the outsized returns. For everyone listening, right, you might not have been able to get the buy box FBM. Don't expect to get the buy box FBM prior to December on a lot of listings. Unless there are other people FBMing it, you're in zero day handling time. Shout out Aaron listening to this right here and ideally using an automated repricer. But then the closer we get to December, the more and more FBM friendly, a lot of stuff becomes right there as well. So that's like where you're really going to be able to see your money. Cause like black Friday is going to hit right three weeks from now. It's like the 24th, you can get stuff in the 28th or pick it up retail arbitrage, pick it up, uh, pick up orders the next day, get that thing listed immediately. And you can sell that item three weeks quicker. And that lets you learn way quicker as a beginner, which is the really underrated um, part of it as well. So I didn't even know you were doing FBM with the prep center. Um, how'd that look in terms of like just the system of like them buying the shipping, making sure stuff got out? Cause that makes me a little bit nervous thinking about that. Yeah, sure. So there, there obviously has to be a lot of communication there. So I, and luckily I'm dealing with someone who, who thinks pretty critically about what they're doing. So at times, Amazon will suggest to you that a shipment is going to cost $20 and you're shipping a $20 item and it just doesn't make any sense. And usually the shipping is three bucks. So in any instances like that, she would just ping me and say, hey, this one looks weird for whatever reason. I'd go to a third party shipping company like Pirate Ship or Go Shippo, just purchase a label there, send it to her directly. She gets it out the door. But for the most part, I treated her with autonomy and, and let her do her own thing and just make judgment calls. So up front, there was a little bit of a learning process, right? They've been doing FBM for people. So it was just kind of me getting comfortable with, okay, they know how to do it. They're not making mistakes. I can let them just run with it and I can focus on the sourcing and just go from there. So you do have to have quality checks in place. If you're constantly getting charged $20 as opposed to $5 for shipping, that's an issue. Obviously that's an issue. You're going to lose money in that case. And so there were some instances where that happened initially. We caught them, adjusted from there, and then went back to letting her have full autonomy in that regard. I still do some quality checks here and there. Um, That's probably the most important thing is you let people that you work with do things and make mistakes, assuming that they're not make or break, assuming that they're not, you know, a one-way door. Mm -hmm. And then you coach them up from there and teach them how to then go through the right door on the next opportunity. So yeah. that's kind of how I approach, you know, working with Shane, who's who's been with me for three months, working with a VA, working with the prep center, et cetera. I mean, that's super well put. Um, continuing to dig deeper into kind of like the two bottlenecks that you laid forth. A lot of people listening to this, especially this time of year, are dealing with the sourcing bottleneck, right? Not necessarily being able to find enough products to necessarily max out their credit cards or spend what they need to be spending, right? And so Kind of take that viewer through how to go about finding and continuously finding products uh, that's ultimately going to be super profitable for their business. 
Yeah, so I, I think a lot of people overcomplicate the Amazon FBA business to the point where it becomes hard for them to even successfully run it, run the business. You know, I try and keep the business as simple as possible. Most days, unless it's a replenishable item that for whatever reason has quantity caps on the maximum order quantity, most days I'm not placing any OA orders. And most days Shane is not placing any OA orders. Even during Q4, we were not most days placing OA orders unless it was a product that we already knew was selling and it was still on sale. For the most part, we stack a lot of our spend on certain days and the best opportunities. So when you see an item that's discounted 70% and it's never you've never seen the price dip dip that low, you want to go very heavily on that product if you have high conviction that it's going to sell quickly. And so in terms of finding items, what, what I did last year was really target the largest sales. And so heading into Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you know, everything is the largest sale of the year. So what I like to do is zoom out and say, okay, there's one day or one week or maybe even two weeks where the buy cost for this item is going to be so low that the price is obviously going to fall on Amazon. It might not fall for long, but it's it's most likely going to go down. But if I just zoom out maybe a month or two months, and this is maybe something for people with, with more capital who are not putting things all on credit. If I zoom out two months and the price rebounds to where it is, I'll still be selling profitably, probably at that minimum, because I'm buying at the lowest possible cost. People are not just going to start dumping for a loss in most cases if they got the lowest buy cost. So I can still make sales. I can still be profitable. And then I'm going to buy enough units that I have two, three, four months of inventory. And so when prices rebound into early 2024, I'm still going to be in stock for all those items. And so that's just, you know, that's how I approach it because we have larger bankroll at this point, just from running it for the last year. In terms of just starting out, you're going to want to attack the sales and you're going to want to do a lot of reverse sourcing. So I, some people hate on reverse sourcing. It's one of the first things that came out of Miles' mouth a year ago when I spoke with him. And I, it was, you know, I'm just thinking about it. Oh my God, this is a crazy opportunity. I can look at some, a pre-vetted lead by someone in the space. And if I don't buy that specific product, at least in a, I have an idea of what other people are looking at in terms of what the listing look like, looks like, what the keeper graph looks like, and what the brand is. And so... In terms of reverse sourcing, you don't need to reverse source and buy the same product as someone. You could just get an idea of, okay, that's that's a good keeper graph. That's what I should look for. Or that's a good brand that I should try and source on other sites. And so that's, you know, reverse source, find the brands that are selling best. You don't necessarily need to buy what other people are buying, but you'll get a pretty good idea of what brands are profitable from an OA standpoint by doing that. Yeah. And over the long term, it becomes pretty feasible to see a lot of stuff become profitable. If you have a burner email address that's subscribed to all these websites, so they can tell you when there's deals going on. If you have all the coupon extensions, the be frugal, top cash back, capital one shoppings of the world. If you're looking at discounted gift cards, right? Doing the stuff other people aren't, that's how you get the buy costs other people can. And that's how stuff becomes profitable. Kind of thinking more holistically, um, gents, you kind of want to walk us through. Okay. So obviously Q4 is really good. I know you're doing significantly more now than you were back then. You want to walk through kind of the trajectory and any of the inflection points, getting wholesale involved too, that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. So what, one of the inflection points was early last year or late last year, I should say. And it was once we hit or once I hit, because it was just me at that point, once I hit a point of comfortability 
where I know what to look for. I've vetted enough leads and gotten approval, if you will, from someone else. In this case, it was you, Miles, or someone else within the group. And just saying, okay, this is what I need to look for. Now I'm comfortable with this. I'm going to scale from here. And so we went from 20 or we went from zero to within a period of 60 days, we went from $0 in sales to $100,000 in sales and $25,000 in profit. So that was purely an informational jump. And I did all that while working at Morgan Stanley during Q4, which is one of the busier times because there's a bunch of tax implications for billionaires. And so, yeah. Yeah. You got to increase that shareholder value, baby. You better work hard to increase <laughs> that shareholder value. Exactly. Yeah. But after that point, if you're just starting in Q4, you're going to see a drop in sales in January, no matter what. Like it, I, I won't say no matter what, but there's a 99% well, like you should though. You should. Yeah. Like you probably circumstantially should. you should, right? Because yeah. in January, you're not going to be able to buy a box FBM the way you can in December. Therefore, it's way more profitable to focus on December because it's it's better. Yeah. So I saw probably a 75% decline in sales. So I went to 80. I was 20, 80, back to 20. I'm just sitting there. Oh crap, this sucks. But <laughs> then February gets a little better. March gets a little better. And we kind of scale back. So by, I think March, we were back to 80 or I was back to 80, still just me. Um, April, May, June, all still 80. So one point I'd like to make is that in April, I bought another course on how to do wholesale. And so I bought this from KT Hustles. A lot of people know KT. He's on Twitter, big personality. He's all over the place, but I bought his course and it kind of introduced me to the whole world of the wholesale opportunity. And so that's when I, Shane and I kind of started talking. We're like, hey, there's this opportunity within the wholesale space. And so for four months, really, we didn't see progress in our sales numbers from wholesale. So we go through April, you know, I buy the course in mid-April, nothing happens in May, another $80,000 month, June, another $80,000 month, all, all on an arbitrage, um, lower margins than what, we were, than what we were doing in December, just based off circumstance. July, we had $150,000 month. That was because we, we did some things within the, o, the OA space. We did a lot more sourcing and just more calculated sourcing. So that, that inflection point really came from me thinking intuitively, all right, I, what do I, what do I use every day? Right. And so let's just take this, this water, for example, you know, purely Sedona water. What I did is I just wow. looked on Amazon for some of the products that I use and I say, okay, is this, you know, I buy this every month. Cause it's in this case, it was a, a replenishable item for me. I need to buy this every month. Is, is this something that I can sell on Amazon profitably? And we found one of those things and we did close to $80,000 in sales the first month with one product. And so then jumping in August, that's when we started to get a little bit of the wholesale tailwind. And so we went to ASD, Miles, we met in person and Gary. Oh, that was so dope. And Remember that that dinner where like there were like 20 heads just chilling at that place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at Fogo? Oh, well, that too. But the first night, the first night at the, yeah, the place in the wind. Oh, yeah. yes, 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 yes. The, back, the back of the yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> All fun. But um, yeah, so we got a, we got introduced to a lot of these suppliers from this wholesale convention, ASD. And we started placing orders with them. And then slowly but surely, our efforts start to compound. And then August was a $200,000 month. 
September was a $200,000 month and now October was another $200,000 month. And these are just, just over 200,000 for all of them. Pretty consistent across the three months. But the three biggest things would be the jump in information that I had when I bought your course in October, late October last year, the purchase of the wholesale course in April. Which is another real jump of information. Jump of information in terms of like, you know, though it, most of the two things were were informational jumps. And then, because we're not limited by capital yet at this yeah, point, And you right? trusted reselling already was the big thing too. That helps a ton. I, I was the exact It same. does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are skeptical just on. Oh yeah. What these, this person's trying to scam me. They have some ulterior motive where if I pay them a thousand dollars, $5,000, $10,000, they're going to take that money and run away. I didn't have that with you. And I didn't have that with Amazon. I didn't, you know. I had that trust already because I'd done it before. And so that that is a problem for some people. Just, you know, there's people I talk to every day who say, I don't know you. I don't know the space. There's so many scammers in the space. It's all true. But you have to find that person and build up that trust. And so that's why someone who's putting everything they do, that they do on social media like you do, it, it helps you garner that trust with people and your audience. And so that's one big thing. Um, but yeah, then the, the last jump was just ASD. So another informational jump. And now we're becoming more so limited by capital. So um, your info product, KT's info product, wholesale convention, ASD. Those are the three big inflection points and major jumps in sales and uh, information that we had available. So there was just three or four months between the time you started wholesale and ASD, right? That weren't necessarily clicking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So and, and that's, I think, something key to, to really hone in on because a lot of people are in that space. A lot of people are trying to make that transition, trying to flip the switch unsuccessfully. And so what were some of the things that you were trying in that time period that weren't necessarily allowing you to flip that switch with the business, scale wholesale and really dive into it? I feel like early on with the wholesale, we were very consistent with it. And I think the big, like, the reason that we started to see success is that through those three months when we weren't seeing immediate returns, we didn't let our foot off the gas. We stayed on, you know, emailing 10 brands a day, calling distributors every single day. And uh, it ended up being that now, like one of our biggest suppliers is one of the first wholesale accounts we ever opened back oh, yeah. in like late May, you know, early summer. And we probably, our biggest order with them was like maybe two to 5k. And now we're making like, you know, almost, you know, I don't know, we're making like almost $100,000 orders with them. And, and the great part is like, they're coming to us with offers now. And that's a, the, the greatest thing about wholesale is you spend less time doing the product research because these people trust you. And once you build up a relationship, they start to send you offers um, and you just got to check if they're good or not. Well, I mean, that's what, that's something that's huge, right? Because one wholesale account can ultimately change everything. But you don't know if that account's going to come at your 11th call or your 300th, right? At your 5th or your 400th, right? And so you keep having to having to put in the reps. And ultimately, as you guys have seen, you eventually reap the benefits of, of everything you're putting in, but you don't necessarily know when that is coming. Yeah. Yeah. And, ab yeah. and so in terms of like just kind of tactically on the wholesale side of things, has it mainly been like local suppliers, brand direct, distributors? Because I know you guys are in a really good area, probably honestly the best area of the country for like all three of those things or one of the top two um, with the New York City area. But for people who you know are looking to get that first wholesale, can, can kind of film them on that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, of course. What one thing in regards to just the whole wholesale space is you should try and couple or decouple your effort and your result. You you you're gonna need to just work, and then eventually all the work that you put in will compound, and you're gonna see the result. And in our case, it was very explosive where it was all effort for four months and zero return. You know, you put down a large sum of money and you put down a ton of hours. And then all of a sudden that effort has compounded so much that eventually when things click, it's to the moon, right? So just decoupling effort and results for the initial startup cost, because that's that's the hardest part. When you first start is the, the hardest part of how it's going to be for the rest of your life, right? So I'll just say that, leave it at that. But which is different from OA though, right? Because with OA, everyone wired that input equals results. You put in hours, you source, you ultimately have an immediate return, whether it be, you know, motion fulfill FBA. But wholesale is completely different. Sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little bit of a different game. It's more nuanced. And it's not it's not necessarily input equals output, like mm -hmm. like I wish it was, <laughs> right? That makes it much more easier on the brain and psychologically and emotionally. But um yeah. That said, in regards to local versus out-of-state suppliers, you're probably going to be a little bit constrained by, you know, if you have, we're, we're in Los Angeles in California, so we're on the far West Coast. If we wanted to work with a distributor in New Jersey and have them ship out here, there's going to be shipping costs associated with that to the point where it's probably not going to be feasible. So going to local trade shows, you know, ASDs in Vegas, it's a four-hour drive to Los Angeles. So a lot of Los Angeles distributors go to ASD in Vegas. And so going to a local trade show where you can kind of find those local suppliers, right now we have several that are local in Los Angeles. I'd say a handful. And then we have another handful that are in New Jersey. Why do we have a handful in New Jersey? If we're on the West Coast, we have a prep center over there that we work with that gives us wholesale pricing on prep. So that's how we break it up because, you know, if you're on the West Coast, there's probably going to be a wholesaler on the West Coast that sells all the same products as on the East Coast. It's just about finding them. So we, since we're kind of newer to this, we haven't found them to date. And so that's why we're currently working with the ones in New Jersey. I don't plan on switching that just because we've we've also outsourced prep. So it just gives us more of a business as opposed to a job yeah. of prepping. Um, so that's, that's how we, we've broken it up. We wanted to try and target like going to ASD. We had in our heads, we're going to target local suppliers and try and go and meet them at their warehouses. And then after meeting them and going to their warehouses, we've found products in their warehouses, in their showrooms. And I think that's the best strategy is <laughs> it's a combination of retail arbitrage and wholesale where we go to a wholesaler's showroom and we've found some of our best products like that. Cause you there's some things that they won't have on their on their price sheet or on their website. They just won't have it because some of these wholesalers are outdated or they just don't get things on the internet as as well as others do. And so going in person and really doing the digging and and that manual manual hard work was what got us some big jumps and some really great products that are super profitable. So yeah, as I remember even right after um Sorry, uh, right after we left ASD, Nikki, Nikki's flight was back to Northern California. And our last day, we met probably three or four guys who were like, yeah, come meet us sometime this week in LA at our warehouse. We'll show you around, show you everything we got. So Nikki switches his flight, comes down to LA. We spend the whole week going to meet wholesalers. 
we placed like a ton of orders and some of those products were still like rebuying to this day. And so just like, even what Nikki was saying about other opportunities, when you get to go in in person, meet with them, it not only like cultivates a better connection, like a more personal connection with your sales rep or with the sales manager, but also you see shipments coming in and going out. So we've seen big pallets come in and we ask our guy, Hey, like, I haven't seen that product on, on your, in your showroom. Like, is that a special order? They're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's an online seller who just bought that pallet. Ah, can we get, yeah, can we yeah. get in on that? So then, you know, we kind of, that's another, you know, way we've been sourcing some products is just like, oh, if we can talk to our, our suppliers about what other online sellers are getting, then we can go on Amazon and research and say, can we source that as well? Yeah, more sauce with that. Same thing with the uh, employees at your favorite local retail arbitrage places. You got, you guys got to be asking them, yeah, hey, what are people buying bulk of? What'd you recently get in? What's been sitting? Can I negotiate with that? Potentially you can talk to the manager or the owner. There's a bunch of little edges you can get with that. It's the same thing like do an OA with your homies, right? Like the first time you meet someone, you're going to like, bro's not going to give it up. Yeah, he's not going to give it up for you. <laughs> he's not going to tell you like the really, the really good stuff. But like, you know, the when you're, you know, friends with someone after a couple months, like they should know everything you're selling. You should know everything they're selling. And that should make it way easier for both of you guys, right? Because it's, you're both limited capital-wise time-wise in terms of finding opportunity and such you guys going to squeeze any fbm well for december uh a hundred percent oh oh cool cool you kind of have to yeah yeah okay yeah it's it's too profitable of an opportunity to miss and so we're gonna have our prep center working overtime (laughs) in that regard they're gonna make a lot of money too obviously so they love it but yeah they're gonna be very busy we're probably so that another thing is just your leads will compound to the point where a lot of the things that we're going to be buying this year for OA, we already have those listings in our catalog and we sold a ton of them profitably last year. So, um, and then also just another point on sharing leads with someone in terms of accountability, if you partner up with a friend, you know, it's a, it's a huge reason why I, why I wanted to partner with Shane, right. Is because I can tell him at any time, Hey, you're screwing up in this way. Do like do better. And that, that only comes from being friends with someone and like being on a team with someone. And like, I, I'm not going to go to you miles and be like, yo, you do better on this. Cause we're, it's not like that sort of relationship, right? What I do with Garrett on the basketball court. That's what I'm always, I'm always <laughs> on. The there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Or like just someone you're less familiar with. It's, it's hard to have that no BS kind of dialogue and say like, all right, this needs to be done. We need to get it done. Like, let's go. Um, and so just from an accountability standpoint, it's been great to have them on. We don't split storefronts currently. We're probably going to at some point soon just to get the diversification or like the buy box diversification. Ooh, and so it's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So let, let's just say I try, I try and ex- explain people this math and some people get it. Some people don't, but if there's 10 sellers on a listing, let's just say in your entire catalog, you got a hundred products. There's 10 sellers on every single listing. And you have a buddy who has a hundred unique products in their catalog, same situation, 10 sellers on every single listing. If you guys swapped all your leads, you would basically increase both your sales by 90%, assuming all else is equal in terms of they would get roughly 9% buy box share on every single one of your listings. And then your, your buy box would drop 1% on those listings because they're taking, they're not just taking your buy box. They're taking the other, the other nine sellers as well. And then if you add all of their listings to your catalog, you're then going to take 
you know, assuming all else is equal in terms of everyone's FBA, same price, whatever, and Amazon just distributes the buy box evenly, you're going to take 9% on all of their listings and they're going to lose 1% on all of their current listings. And there's massive intangible costs to your homie making more money, which benefits you so much selfishly. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like completely. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's just kind of a strategy I've, you know, I've done it before with people who I went to, a guy I went to middle school with, right? He, he is a huge Amazon seller. And so we exchanged some leads back in the day and we thought about it this way and just said, okay, we can both make more money this way. And sure, you know, I give up, I give up 1% on my current listing in terms of buy box share, but I gain 9% on this other listing. And so that, that's how I would attack it. If you're just getting into it now is you got to partner up with someone and uh, that's the best way to be held accountable and to have pretty significant success. Yeah. And you were lucky that you found it IRL, right? But oftentimes it's going to come from existing on Twitter, meeting people, getting on Zoom calls, and then through a long process, finding a couple of really long-term thinkers that you would get along with IRL and that type of stuff. And then everyone wins quicker when you work together on stuff. You guys have heard Garrett and I talk about back in the day all the time, the flow bees, the Air Force Ones. Um, that kind of stuff for everyone listening in terms of, um, cause I know you were in like super corporate basically, what was that, those kind of conversations like, did your family kind of trust you going out on your own or like, what, what was it up with that? Cause a lot of people, unfortunately are nervous about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, it was a big jump, right? Like going from a fortune 60 company, Morgan Stanley, huge investment bank, working with multimillionaire and billionaire clients. It's it sounds strange to say I'm gonna go do arbitrage online with Nike products. Um, so there was a point where basically I wanted to get to a certain income level of and and get proof of concept. It's like the biggest thing, just just getting proof of concept that something works, and then you know if you just dedicate the same effort that you've dedicated to other things for the rest of, for the the entirety of your life, you can make it work because you understand the concept and, and you know that the sports, man, you trusted yourself. You had seen the fruits of your labor come to fruition prior. Well, you need yeah. good shit. Yeah, exactly. And, and just in, in like all contexts, right. It's like, I, uh, if you're, if you're very smart academically, if you, well, you know, I, I don't consider myself to be a genius, but I worked very hard in school. And so I got really good results. Right. So there's, there's a whole variety of things you could, you could not consider yourself to be a people person, but you had a really good relationship with a girl or your current girlfriend, and it just took hard work. And so you just, you take these, you take the skill of hard work, which not a lot of people have, and you apply it to anything in life that has been proven to work by other people, and you can be successful in it. Just flat out. That's, it's a fact. And so I wanted that proof of concept. I got that proof of concept. And then I think just in terms of lifestyle, I was in a team. I was on a great team. I loved, I loved the people on my team. I just didn't enjoy the lack of risk because it was just so secure and I didn't see the immediate upside. I'm a, I'm a very, very ambitious person and I found it hard to deal with my expectation of where I wanted to be in my life. And I kind of saw it as there's this ceiling that is imposed by the fact that my superiors are young healthy, happy, and I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. And that's just a product of their success. And so it's it's a strange thing to, to say that, you know, I left because my team was great and it was happy and everyone was happy. But in terms of from a risk standpoint and how I want to live my life, it's just, it's more, 
it's more enthralling to me to say, I just spent a whole bunch of money on this wholesale product. I had to do all of the analysis. I had to deal with the emotional stress of going through and, and placing that order and really just being completely self-sufficient. I find it very appealing and um, kind of empowering in terms of who I am as a person. And so it was just a lifestyle difference, I think, in the type of person that works there and kind of the the challenges that I wanted to self-impose on myself for personal growth reasons. That was incredibly well said. Did, yeah. Were you doing presentations and shit? Or like, where'd you learn to speak really well? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, while working there, I talked with billionaires yeah. on the phone. Like yeah, I, I was the person. Yeah, 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 completely. And yeah. the degree of pressure that that puts you under is pretty significant. And it's hard to explain because I, I don't see these people face to face. I see their picture on Forbes magazine and I see it on websites of some of the most prestigious institutions in the world. And it just, it forces you to think very quickly and try not to screw up as best as possible. And so another thing on, on top of that, right, on top of that, I have noticed that I started saying, um, a lot, just the filler word, um, and I made a point to Shane. I said, I'm not going to say, um, ever again. That's something that miles all the time. We, he, yeah. I like keep him on this, keep him on it because facts, facts. every yeah. like, couple month he keeps up, he picks up like a new filler word. It's because I talk so much on camera. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. weird because you kind of rotate them out, you know, I you do. pick up here and there yeah <laughs> that's funny but i i think just acknowledging what you want to do makes it much easier to do oh you got to be brutally honest too so yeah. many people are hiding their true intentions i'm trying to get rich baby <laughs> like, like yeah for real for real <laughs> like so many people yeah. are so scared to say it yeah i mean no i i wanted you know i also left because i wanted to make more money i i felt that there was a salary that i was at and I didn't see as explosive the explosive growth that growth that I wanted to, and so I wanted to step out and say, I want a hundred percent true meritocracy, right? The concept of you put in more work and you get more out, and so that, there's a connotation with banking where, or there's an association with banking that it's a hundred percent meritocracy. Of course, that's false. Just it, it can't be because there's multiple factors at play in any large institution, but for the most part with entrepreneurship, I see it as a true meritocracy where you're out on your own and it's how good are you? Go and make your own way. Go and figure it out. The better you are, the more you're going to make. I think that's, I think that can be considered a fact as well, where, you know, the more you put in, the more you get out. It, people say that about a lot of things, but I think entrepreneurship is one of the truest, the truest translations of that natural law. Yeah. And over the long term, pretty much everyone gets what they deserve too, right? There's obviously yeah. external factors, but like across a long period of time, like pretty much everyone gets what they deserve. And then where you guys see this, this stuff going from here as we wrap up, like what's kind of the plan, whether it be next six months or next couple of years, private label, what's kind of the thoughts with that? Shane, you, you jump in here. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. So um, I feel like for both of us, we are passionate about a bunch of different things. And so we're always in here in our office, like brainstorming new ideas and stuff but as far as for the near future um when we start seeing a lot of growth in wholesale we actually landed an exclusive account with a brand where we you know are one of five or six sellers who's selling exclusively for them on amazon 
we saw that we were like, okay, this is a huge opportunity. If we can get more brands to work with us this closely, if we can create a client dashboard and basically make a, a new business out of this, where it's full service e-commerce marketplace management, that's something we're looking to get into. And then on the other side of that is if we can create some type, some type of software where we can both help, you know, our clients, our brand clients, and then sell that to other e-commerce sellers as well. You know, as sellers, as we've used all the different softwares for months and months now, we see the pain points and we see the holes where we think like, okay, if, if this software had this other feature, this one other feature, it would be, it would save us so much time. And so that's something we're currently uh, working on, like trying to put together a list of features that we wish we had in softwares and try and make it a reality. And then obviously in the future, I think we would love to get into a private label brand. Uh, we've talked about supplements, you know, dog food products, like clothing lines, all that type of stuff. So we haven't really narrowed it down to one specific private label, you know, brand that we would want to get into, but definitely something we're looking forward to in the future to have like our own brand on something I think would be awesome. Yeah. And it's just thinking about it the right way, right? You're not Amazon sellers, you're entrepreneurs right? Like what at, wherever the opportunity presents itself, we can get after that. I think it's a big mistake a lot of people make when they go and do retail arbitrage for the first time, right? It's like, how can I go ahead and do this for the next 10 years? If you do it right, you're not even going to have to do that six months from now, right? We all have the yeah. option to, but you know, you, you shouldn't need to just from a leverage perspective. And uh, where can people find you guys on social media if they want to catch up with you guys after this? Yeah, so I'm dot Klaus, D-O-T. Oh, you changed it? Klaus. Yeah, I just switched it. I ah. used to be based Klaus, but yeah. dot Klaus, like dot com, kind of. It's more fitting for the online space. Um, and I'm getting more active on TikTok and Instagram with that same handle. So we're trying to build it up. We're trying to, you know, have, we're trying to do something similar to what you've done and what other large creators have done in terms of building that audience and really trying to provide value to a lot of people because it really just lifts the whole industry. If we can provide good information to good people we will also in turn make more money just because of the industry's getting better so that's where i'm going to be and then shane's yeah. got his own. i'm not very active on twitter i don't you're think you're way too cool anything. not to be though yeah you, know, you get you got a handle for us though you know you got you can toss up a screenshot of it you know you I honestly i don't know what my twitter handle is but i am active <laughs> on instagram my instagram's uh shane bissell underscore bissell has two s's two l's and then we actually just created a new instagram for our discord it's called new age fba all mm. one word all lowercase um so go check it out we're posting updates Updates on the Discord, updates on our sales, and uh, just how everything's going with us. So, yeah. Cool. Sweet. cool. Sweet. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you yeah, guys for having us. Uh, thank you, Garrett. Appreciate you guys. Cool.